Welcome to the Step Up Your Business podcast. This is a weekly show brought to you by the Business Advisory Center Durham. In these episodes, we'll talk about everything to do with business, how to get started, how to grow your business, you'd meet some of our clients that we work with, and upcoming events that are going on in our region. We'd love you to join us every week and hopefully take away something that you can implement into your business. Even though we are in the Durham region, a lot of the business advice and information is applicable to all businesses. Thank you and stay tuned. So Adam, I'm so glad to have you here today to share your story with our audience. Uh, Part of our mission at BACD is to support local entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurial community. So I met Adam when he was the speaker at our UpSales event earlier this year. Um, I loved his story and what he has been able to accomplish in a very traditional industry. So I'd like to give Adam a chance to tell us a little bit more about that. But first, I'd like to just introduce you by reading his bio. Like me, Adam loves technology. His team thinks he's actually an insurance super robot that was programmed with the prime directive to make insurance not suck, which I love. By any means, that was necessary. They say he doesn't sleep and it's been at least three years since anyone saw him blink. Is that really true? (laughs) Some of it, maybe. As president and chief awesomeness officer at Mitchell & Whale, Adam has been honored to receive a number of awards and accolades in the recent years, including the IBAO Brokerage of the Year in 2018 and the IBAO Innovator of the Year in 2016. He's also a fixture on IBC's top 10 brokerages, elite brokers, and young guns list. I love that. As the head of a brokerage that's more than tripled in size over the last five years, he's never content to rest on his laurels and is always looking to bring Mitchell & Will to new heights in terms of delivering value and convenience to their customers. He does this by always having an eye towards the latest technologies, innovations, and marketing, and never forgetting that ultimately insurance is a people business. I would absolutely agree with you. Happy and engaged teammates means happy and engaged customers. And this is the winning formula that they bank on so that Mitchell and Will can go to that next level. He also loves to golf, play squash, surf, kiteboard, skiing, deep frying, anything. His mom and his babies. How many babies do you have? Um, One and a half. We got another one coming in November. Oh, very cool. Do you know if it's a boy or a girl? Girl. Oh, awesome. So then you'll have two girls. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Thank you so much, Adam. I really appreciate having you here with us today. I'd love just, uh, I read in your bio, um, we, we talked about IBAO and IBC. Could you just give me what those acronyms are just so that we put a little context on that for our guests? Yeah, IBAO is Insurance Broker Association of Ontario. It's okay. our uh, sort of trade organization that yep. most of us belong to. Yep. And IBC is a magazine sort of trade journal. So it's Insurance Business Canada. Awesome. Excellent. So thank you so much. I'd love you to tell us a little bit about your story because I know that uh, being you're in a very traditional insurance agency and your goal was to turn that on its head. I love your story and I'd love you to share it with our audience. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting story. I don't think it's a classic one. I never really liked the traditional path or an office life. I, I went to school for outdoor adventure in, in Algonquin College, north of Ottawa. And spent uh, a couple days a week, well, seasonally, I'd either be rafting or snowboarding or skiing, ice climbing, rock climbing. It was generally a school to become an outdoor guy. 
and I, I think I only went to post-secondary because my mom insisted I had to do something, but otherwise <laughs> I, I didn't really see it fitting. Um, had a good time there and then went away uh, to find a summer job mid-college. Uh, mid and at that time I was getting into kiteboarding. So we were kiteboarding on the snow, on our snowboards, on the Ottawa River when it froze and a few other places. And I, I sort of fibbed my way into a job, uh, you know, lying about how good I was going down to Carolina. So I, I got myself a professional athlete's visa and went down to the Outer Banks and lived there and surfed and kiteboarded for the next five years teaching New England's wealthy um, at a school down there. And we went between the Caribbean in the winter and uh, North Carolina in the summer, back and forth. In about 2008, um, I came back for the winter for Christmas and found out my dad uh, had cancer. Huh. So I had, it had been a, a long enough journey. I was starting to go a little brain dead teaching on that. And so I decided to hang up the gloves and stay up here with dad. So for about the next year, I, I drove around for appointments with him, ended up getting licensed in 2009 to babysit the business while he wasn't able to work there. And it was pretty small. It was only one broker and one receptionist at that time. So I was just showing up to make sure the lights were on and phones answered and pretty basic things. He passed away later that year in 2009. I ended up buying the brokerage off the estate in 2010. So I didn't really have any intention before that of getting into insurance, but uh, the, the opportunity came up there, and I frankly didn't have anything better to do. It, it looked like an okay option to give it a try. And I, I figured, I think I was 25 at that time, and one of three things would happen. Either I'd try it for a couple of years, and I'd come up with a better idea. So I'd go try that better idea. I would uh, go bankrupt and sort of lose that thing and be 27 and broke, like most of my other friends. Yeah. Um, or it would work out okay. Yeah. Uh, so I put my head down and worked pretty hard for two years, and the company slowly grew and it didn't go down and we slowly started to get traction. And I think uh, a couple of years later, we started a website and started to go from there. So the business has grown a bunch since then. We've actually grown about a thousand percent from so two and a half million in sales at that time to now uh, about 30 million in sales. So just Big over jump. 10 times. Yeah. How did you but, manage that jump from, from two and a half million? And even at two and a half million, how many people were there and how many people are here now? Yeah, so we're just shy of 60 people now. Uh, everybody's here in this one office in Whitby at the bottom of Thixon. It, it sounds like a jump, but it, I'd, I'd call it more of a 10-year grind. You know, 2009 is a long time ago now. Yeah. And uh, you just slowly uh, wake up and try and make a good decision and learn something new and keep pushing and pushing. And it's, it's a very old, mature industry, but it's also ripe for a lot of uh, innovation and some clean thinking. And some disruption, I think, which is awesome. So tell me a little bit about that. What have you brought to it that has led you to win some of these awards from, you know, again, as you say, it's a traditional industry. It's like one of the age-old industries we've got. Yeah, it's funny. It's, and it's sort of invisible, right? Nobody really thinks about insurance. Nobody ever intends to get an insurance. But it underpins every financial transaction we have, whether you're running a store, running a business, buying a house, buying a car, all these things. And insurance sort of greases the wheels of the economy to keep everything going. So in one way, it's invisible and been happening the same way for hundreds of years. Most of our awards revolve around, um, most of them would be around growth. So we're one of the unique stories to be growing this fast organically. Many, many grow, but it's through acquisitions and merger and sort of leveraging debt. 
we added, you know, tens of thousands of customers, one customer at a time. Yeah. So that's been our angle and that, a little bit of clean thinking. So my double-edged sword when I started is I didn't have any contacts, but I also didn't have any preconceived notions. So every time we tackled a problem, it was with a pretty clean sheet of paper and that lack of baggage, I think really helped us tackle some new problems. Right. And just bringing a different mindset to it, right? Because I, I know um, quite often in organizations, they go, we've tried that already. It, totally. it doesn't work. Right. Um, One of the rules that was, it's sort of tongue in cheek, but um, we made pretty early on is if, if you ever answered a question with, because that's how we always did it, you had to do a lap around the building because it was just a really lazy answer. Say that's not an answer. Like it's either got a great logical supporting reason as to why you do it or you know, you got to shake your head. Right, right. So you are obviously driving this growth, being the president president of the organization. Um, how do you bring your team on board with all of that? It's um, one at a time. So our our office is made up uh, two main divisions of sales and service, and now there's also leadership and support teams that support those two main divisions. It's been one of the harder things, learning to continually you know, evolve and fire yourself. And I, I think you really can't be too much of a control freak. Um, you need to keep rolling with the punches and you know, accepting and moving on, accepting and moving on and improving. So you, you do need to scale up and empower the right smart people to make good decisions. Very good point. Um, I know for me too, I have a small team, but if I was trying to control what they do, like, I would get my work done and never mind, nor would they get their work done. And, and the whole thing can seize up. Yeah. And, and then they're unhappy. Yeah. If you can give them autonomy to do what they need to do, then that's the way for it to go. ask you how did you figure out or how did you come to the realization that you wanted to make insurance not suck and how does it not suck for people like what are you doing to not oh, make it suck I think I think a ton of people would file insurance under the grudge purchase category of something you're not really proud or excited to buy especially on the personal side you don't necessarily want to buy it and leave you with the warm and fuzzies um, if you use it, it feels like a fight and like the insurance company's taking advantage of you. If you don't use it, you feel like you're just pouring money into these giant conglomerates. So it's funny that that mission statement has really resonated with a lot of people. And it's, it's one that gets repeated. And it's always surprised me that I, you don't hear insurance brokerages or companies' missions repeated. So it's interesting that one catches people's eyes. We came up with it sitting on my back patio drinking a lot of wine mm -hmm. as we were trying to, you know, scale the company and put down the values and the mission and some of these pieces to clarify where are we going and what are we doing? Right. I, I think we approach it with a lot of transparency and, and openness and try and give a real sort of human approach. It's, you know, I, I always dress in sort of t-shirts and jeans and flip-flops and it's just to take off that thinly veiled uniform of a suit and tie and, and pretending like we're, you know, any better than anyone else. And I think it's a refreshing approach and, and constantly tackling the status quo to say there's got to be a better way. Right. I would agree with you there for sure. There's got to be a better way. What are some of the ways that you figured out that it's better? Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, one of the, so 
as we've scaled up and had a number of people, we've had to look more and more like a call center. I mean, and one of the things that we hate when you call your cell phone company and you get somebody on the line and you can't have their direct number, you can't call them back. So right in the early days, we gave everybody a direct line, gave everybody uh, the ability to text with or from their customers, and that one number could go to or from. And another thing that was in our industry was an alphabet split. So you'd have a book of business split up by the alphabet. So Teresa could only call her agent, Mary. And if Mary was in the bathroom or on vacation, you had to wait for Mary. So we said, let's get rid of that. If you love Mary, great. Here's her direct number. You can call her. But if you just want a new pink slip or to move your house address or something, you can talk to anybody. We opened up from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So we killed the idea of 9 to 5 and Monday to Friday. We did uh, Monday to Saturday. Um, I'd really like to get to 24 seven, but uh, it's going to take a bit more scale to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty soon we're, we're launching a, a self-service portal. So the idea that you can go on and get your own documents, your own pink slip, make your own changes, much like you can do with uh, online banking. We've all gotten used to using our bank mobile app and said, why not? Why not an insurance? Very cool. Cause no one else allows it. No. So that would be really, really cool. I love that. And I also love what you said. I mean, that's, that's already different thinking because I, I know, I mean, I love my insurance company for sure. I love the people that I'm dealing with. Yeah. It is a difficult if I need to get certain things done. I just actually bought it. Well, I just bought a new car. So I was lucky. I could do everything through email. I didn't have to go anywhere. I didn't have to sign anything, which is pretty cool. And I think that's kind of the technologies and the systems that you have in place as well. Yeah, totally. Very cool. Another question I have for you, insurance, as you, we've said a few times, as a highly regulated industry, are there any significant changes that have impacted you and your business and how you have to adjust your strategy to kind of fit around that? Yeah, it's, um, it's a heavily regulated one. For Every auto insurance rate is um, set and approved by the government for every company, so they can't change it willy-nilly any day. Some of the disruption that came with the NDP in the last while was forcing down 15% rate reduction, or they attempted to for all the companies. And many of the companies lost a ton of money. Uh, one of the companies pulled out of Canada, State Farm, sold to Desjardins, and went back to the States. Wow. Uh, and then we're now on the other end of that whiplash where the companies are now having a new regulator. We changed regulators in Ontario. And all the companies are going through big rate increases. So most people out there over the next year will see large rate increases and will likely have to relook at the marketplace and see is the company that they were with last year still the best plan for them or has it, has it changed? Yeah. Another one that is coming down the pipe a little slower, but it's pretty interesting is a self-driving car. Yeah. Um, we've grown up in an age where you have a machine and you're responsible for that machine. And in over the next decade, that machine you may or may not own is going to be making its own decisions, whether it starts, stops, and turns. And that begs the question that's who is liable uh, when it crashes. Right, right. I mean, I've found that the industry's gotten really interesting, whereby if you have an accident, it just goes back to your own insurance company. I, I'm not always sure that that's a fair way to do it. But yeah. Um, the nice part, and so that happens differently in Ontario and Canada than it does in a lot of the states. So this no-fault liability means that if Teresa picks a great reputable insurance company, then you deal with only that great reputable insurance company at your claim time. And yeah. they promise to only affect your rate if you're at fault. 
So yeah. even if you're not at fault, you can call your nice reputable company and get your claims check paid, you know, PDQ. Um, in the States, you need to chase the other party, no matter what of a degenerate sort of company it might be. So it could be a fly-by-night operation that's not picking up any of its communications. And so there's pros and cons. Um, I see. I see how you see it. And that makes sense from that perspective, for sure. Yeah. It helps you as the broker or the insurance company, and it certainly helps the end your customer, right? Um, I'd like to ask you how you market as an insurance company, like how do you market your business and where and what yeah. works for you? Um, most all of our marketing is focused through our website and through Google and, and generally search engines. Mm -hmm. um, a little bit on social media, but generally most all of our clients are found through Google and, and a few partnerships. Very cool. It's, it's worked pretty well. It's grown in a lot of popularity. I just looked up the other day how many people have been to our website since we launched it and it's uh, it's nearly 700,000. Wow. So, yeah, 700,000 people have gone through there to, you know, get quotes, revisit it. Um, and it's been uh, a pretty neat journey. Um, I think it's a big untapped resources for a lot of, uh, a lot of businesses. I agree. Um, one of the programs we run here at BACD is called Digital Main Street, which is helping local businesses adapt and adopt technology and innovation so that they can do business online because I, as a whole Canada like only 60% of websites are actually ready to do business online so there's a huge opportunity but there's also a huge reluctance for people to take it on and actually do it so we just wrote a, an interesting article that stirred the pot a bit um, in our industry where we went and received uh, quotes from 50 different websites on two different profiles uh, male female a couple different ages and we were never able to get the prices to match to what was actually going to be issued. And the standard variance was going to be 200 and something dollars. And it go, went up well into the thousands. So wow, insurance is still somewhat complicated in our world that a lot of websites you can go on and get comparison shopping, but nobody stopped to say, are these actually accurate? Right. And it turns out they're not terribly accurate. So we were pretty quick on our website um, to have online quoting. We had an automated chat bot. We've had a number of things where we allowed customers to buy policies. And we always sort of revert back to the data to say, is that actually doing what we want to do and helping onboard more customers? Um, and it hasn't. So we've moved a little bit backwards. We've taken those things and put them back in the box. And now we have you know, phone numbers and chats and, and uh, web forms to connect uh, clients and prospects or customers with brokers. And we're trying to connect them as quickly as possible, human to human. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to be a lot more effective. So our world of uh, insurance is, is still a ways away from being e-commerce uh, taking off anyways. Good point, because the human element is what we want to sell. I have a question for you. Would you be open to sharing that article so I can put it in our show notes? Yeah, totally. Because I think that would be really interesting for people to read, for sure. Um, you did mention tech, one of these, but I'd love to know, do you see, you mentioned self-driving cars as a coming trend. Is there any other kind of trends that you're noticing for insurance industry as a whole? I mean, increasing rates probably is one of those. Yeah, that, and that's cyclical. So that'll go up and down. Um, there's likely to be some product reform where the government will come in and change the amount of benefits you get or don't get, what's mandatory, what's not. We don't right. know what's coming yet, but um, 
new government has said they're interested in changing that. Um, there's a lot of talk about um, trying to get lawyers out of it and some contingency fees. And there's a lot of bloat in the product where by if you get into an accident, you're not receiving all the money you need for your benefits because of the lawyers involved in different cases. And so how can you have a fair and equitable system while trying to save money? And so there's a lot of parties looking at how to reform that. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, quite complex actually, right? It's incredibly complex. Yeah. It's, uh, there is still e-commerce. So there's a couple insurance companies starting e-commerce platforms and trying. And the problem is, you can't really get a great comparison amongst those. So all the ones that are doing e-commerce, you're just going directly to buy that one product. And nobody's done a nice job like Amazon to give a large amount of reviews, to give a large amount of selection so you can both compare and have convenience. Right. Very true. Do reviews affect your business too? I think so. We spend a lot of time on reviews, the service team is completely monitored by an NPS score and at the bottom of all their email addresses for every transaction, it's a score of zero to 10 on how we're doing. And we put that up on a TV in the office so that everybody has full transparency to what are the customers thinking and what are we managing on? Very the sales cool. team has uh, the same sort of Google reviews and Facebook reviews. So I don't know, I you never really know, but I, I certainly like to think when I buy things online, and you, if you're, probably buying things on Amazon as well. Yes, you read the reviews quite a lot. And when we go to do research these days, if there's no reviews on a product, you're pretty skeptical. Very so true. I would hold ourselves to the same regard. If there's no reviews on us or the reviews are bad, uh, I think people should be skeptical. I always find, particularly like TripAdvisor, that I book a hotel and then off you go. You read the reviews before, but when you come back and you read the reviews again, I feel like they're more true after I've been there than before. I'll, uh, I'll, I got to find another link for you, but I just found out the other day about a review rating system and it was an engine that you can put your uh, product reviews in and it will tell you how uh, many false reviews there are on that product. Oh, that'd be so cool. It's pretty neat. Like there's a whole business around fake reviews on Amazon now and, and getting products to the top of this algorithm. That's um, very so true. Now companies have emerged to say, hey, enter it in here and you'll get a rating on, on how trustworthy or untrustworthy that product is. That's good because we do need that. There are a lot of fake reviews, a lot of people trying to game the system, right? Yeah. Just a question, a personal question for you. What drives you to strive for success in this business? I... I, I, I don't know. I think I'm a decently driven person. I, I think it, the, the bit of OCD and ADD combined um, just keep you sort of pushing and bouncing along to the next thing. And yeah. um, I think I'm just currently involved in insurance. Uh, yeah. I, I think I'd probably get involved in any organization or, you know, sport or hobby or something and probably become pretty obsessive of it, trying to improve. And there's probably a pattern of that, whether it be, you know, kiteboarding or school or something else. Right. Very true. What's the future for Mitchell and Whale? Like, where do you see it going? We just licensed across Canada. Um, we're, we're opening a joint venture shortly on the East Coast. We'll probably uh, grow another 10 times. So we'll, we'll take it from, from 30 million to 300 million in sales and uh, try and put it onto that sort of top 10 radar of Canada. Very cool. Uh, and what does that mean when it gets to that level? For sure. Some other, other eyes are going to be looking at you. 
Oh, for sure. And there'll be a lot of more growing pains and, uh, you know, a lot more learning and, uh, you know, have to continue to fire myself a number more times from a number of jobs and other people will be the operator. And it's, uh, it's interesting, but uh, may as well make hay while it's here. It's a, what a great way to do it. Um, How do you affect the culture of your organization? I, I think the, the momentum of the culture, uh, I think I started the momentum and, and started the sort of transparency of the fun, easygoing, transparent office. Um, we, we probably started it with killing dress code as an experiment and then realizing it was great. It, but it's almost taken on a life of its own between the, the social committee and the other things that are happening. Um, coming up tomorrow, we have a uh, staff appreciation uh, car wash. So everybody on the leadership team has... Uh, you know, team t-shirts made up and we're bringing in shop backs and hoses and just taking everybody's car through the office. And that's the leadership's team way of saying thanks to the team. That's a cool way of doing it. What other things do you do that are fun? <laughs> so there, there's a, a it's somewhat infamous Nerf wall and it's, uh, I don't know how big that is, 10 feet by maybe 20 feet uh, with Nerf guns and a giant TV in the middle. Um, we have Trolley Tuesdays where we take a, uh, a cart similar to uh, a trolley that goes through an airplane uh, around the office. So yesterday was, uh, I think it was beer and pizza that went around. Okay. Um, you know, they'll have taco days, they'll have the sushi days, they'll have all kinds of things where it's sort of a snack and a drink that goes around. Right, On that's Fridays cool. Friday at 3.30, we have office cheers where everybody breaks and, you know, meets in the kitchen to have a drink and sort of start off the weekend that way. And, yeah. and it helps, you know, collaborate with the team and, and bond. Yeah. Especially as you keep growing, it gets more difficult, right? It's hard for people to change. Is, yeah. I mean, we, we hired and partnered a, a personal trainer. Um, so we have an office gym and we have a trainer that comes in for six sessions a week and there's probably 30 people going through personal training and working through programs. The, the bathrooms have showers. That's wonderful. In the back. It's trying to keep a balance. Right. Do you have a nap room too? No, it's something that never, we, we talked about it a bunch. There was, when we were building up this office, we uh, had a place for it. No, it, it hasn't actually come to fruition. I, I don't know that I've seen anyone napping. I suppose you could, but uh, maybe one day. Under their desk. <laughs> yeah. What about, um, it's, it's culture, but it's also mindset, I think. And I think what you're bringing is the mindset of, of changing yourself, but also changing your company and changing people. Um, do people adapt to that? Like the whole yeah, mindset? They quite like, I mean, A players don't like B players and B players don't like A players, right? So if you are pushing for performance, um, it generally attracts the same type of winners. And one of the pieces that we took um, is, is measure what matters. And the idea that if you're getting your job done, whether it be making sales or helping customers, what do we care what you're wearing or how much you're texting or how much you're on Facebook? You, you hit your numbers, you did a great job, the clients like you. Some people can get really bogged down, some organizations and micromanaging and making yes. sure you're not texting, lock that phone, you're blocked from Facebook. You're either doing your job or you're not. Um, the rest is just noise. Very good point. Very, very good point. Do you think there's a, a success formula for entrepreneurs? I don't know that there's a formula. I would, I'd be willing to bet there's um, a million ways to skin that cat. Um, and then similar to leadership, there, you can lead with so many different styles and fashions. 
I think you probably do need drive. I don't think you're going to passively wish your way into a uh, large scaling business. So that ability to keep pushing and, and, you know, drag yourself out of bed early and, you know, continue to improve and push and, and want better. And I, I think that must be a common thread. Yeah. And I would imagine that you have a real, like, trying to think of the word, but a real distinct picture of what your vision is for this company. And that is what drives you every day to get out of bed and do it and to never give up enthusiasm. Yeah. I think the, the vision um, continues to evolve and change both with the marketplace and the abilities. And so I think you also need a bit of blind faith in yourself and in your team to keep pushing through the fog. And even though it might not be crystal clear exactly where you're going, yeah. um, one of the things we constantly measure ourselves is against our peers and, you know, saying this might be going into pretty turbulent waters, but I like our team's, you know, odds compared to your team's odds. And with that, we'll, we'll march forward with some confidence. That's very true. What piece of advice would you give to anyone who wants to start their own business? The idea, if you can come up with something that's innovative and scalable, I think you want to start a bit with the end in mind. Um, so there's, there's books like Every Family Business where it's talking about not falling in love with uh, the business to the point that you never let go. I think I like to talk a lot about owning a business and not owning a job. So okay. you want to progressively fire yourself and take yourself out of the equation to the point you can own the business like a stock portfolio and empower the team to be making great decisions. Right. I think uh, there's some great, you can, there's so many free resources. I think you can take half of Harvard's curriculum now for free online. It's an amazing place and time to be able to dig into podcasts and readings and you can just keep pushing and getting yourself better and surround yourself with people that have something you want and take advice from people that have something you want, but you know, really temper the advice coming from someone in a situation that has, you have no desire to be in. Right. Very, very, very good idea. Are there any favorite, like I know you've mentioned, you know, some podcasts and things like that. Do you have any favorites that you listen to? Yeah, I have a, a bunch of them podcast junkie. So I think Me from the too. business side, Masters of Scale is yeah. is pretty awesome with Reed Hoffman that did uh, LinkedIn. Yes, he did. NPR has a couple cool ones. One's called uh, How I Built This, um, yeah. interviewing a bunch of cool entrepreneurs that have built some nice companies. Uh, NPR has Planet Money. There's one from Gimlet Media called Startup, and then another one they spun off called Reply All. I can send you some links. Those are both great. Yeah, I'd love those because I'll put that in the show notes as well. I think that would be really useful for people because I always think of it like your business, you need to run it like an athlete because you need to know your vision, what, what you need to achieve every day, the things that you need to achieve it. An athlete knows every day when they wake up, what are they working towards? What are their goals? What's their times? What do they need to eat? What type of exercise? How much? So when you well, th- I think business is the ultimate sport in that there's there's no shot clock. There's no end of the game. There's no halftime. Um, so if you think of a business like a fantasy sports team, there's no salary caps. You can sign anybody you want. And your job is to really be the dream GM. And, and you want to build and assemble the best team possible to win all the world championships. Beautiful. I have never even taken it to that level. I've just always said an, an elite athlete, but I think 
fantasy sports like that's a really really good analogy and i love to use that and i think there's two pieces if you were a small company starting up with one person maybe two people then yeah you probably need to aspire to be wayne gretzky and have the best playmaking or the best slap shot or whatever you're shooting for as the business starts to scale i, I like me at this level where there's you know 50 plus people on the team is i no longer have to be the best guy with the best hands or the best defense or whatever sport you want to analyze you just need to be able to assemble the best team and coach them to the championship right so has that been some of your learning as you've moved along is is to really grow your leadership skills and your ability to coach people yeah and i don't, I don't think i ever sent off on a like one week or two week journey i think it just slowly evolves and happens um, as you grind away and get confused and get defeated and overcome that and you get a win, you get a loss, and it's a real up and down roller coaster. Yeah, very good point. Um, I'd love to make sure that we put some of those uh, resources in our notes for sure. Uh, one more question I have for you is, you've mentioned a few times that you fired yourself. Give yeah. people a little bit of a scenario of what that actually means. Sure. So one plain example, if you called the office 10 years ago, there was a 50% chance that I was going to answer the phone and help you add your new car, right? And then a few years later, uh, there was a team of people that would then help you because the client base had grown. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years after that, I used to do all the hiring and I would be sitting there if we were onboarding to the team. And a few days later, I'm not involved in that. So I fired myself from that job and empowered somebody else to take on that job. Right. Um, and it, it keeps going. You know, I used to write all the articles on the website and then things evolved. Now we have a you know, full-time writer and marketing team. Those things grow up and, and you need to keep letting go. And I think one of the other ones is never hire someone for a job that you haven't already done or somebody isn't already doing. Um, so hiring to throw them right in, it's a really high risk maneuver. It can work sometimes, but it works a lot better if Teresa is bringing someone in to replace Teresa and you know what it takes to be Teresa and you're going to move on to something else and you're going to empower someone to do what you do today. Right. So, um, so using that example, if you had had to, you have brought in an HR person, so you knew how to do the hiring and managing the employee and the onboarding and all that sort of stuff yourself. No, I, I didn't know how to do it at all. I mean, that's that's the whole world of uh, uh, being an entrepreneur, really, is like standing up to a challenge you've never done before and just figuring out how to tackle it. Right. So you do your best you can, and you're probably going to suck at it the first time, and you'll probably be a lot better at it the fifth or tenth time, and you can generally only suck at something for so long. But, yeah, it's having the courage to get up reach out, take advice, you know, ingest a bunch of opinions and knowledge and make a good decision and just move on. Very um, cool. Very cool. Another question, what type of business structure do you have? Like, do you have, or it's more like your organic, your organizational structure, what kind of management structure is it? Is it like one high level or, you know, do you have number of levels of management in the, in the organization? Yeah, I don't, really know how to answer that. So I'll, I'll give you the positions. I mean, there's myself, uh, there's uh, somebody that runs operations, somebody that runs finance, um, somebody that runs commercial, and somebody that runs personal insurance. Okay. Yeah. Uh, amongst those teams, there are some team leaders and some juniors. 
Yeah. Um, so that's the senior brokers helping the junior brokers. Um, I don't see it many layers. Um, yeah. Generally just trying to empower people that, you know, need a little leadership to make good decisions. That's very cool. Now, just to wrap up, I'd love to ask a little bit more about what kind of insurance you do. We've spoken about insurance. I, I, I think people get a sense that it's mostly home and auto, which I don't think is true. I'd love to just hear a little bit more about all the types of insurance you take care of. Sure. Um, we really like competing um, where other people are running away from. So that's just been one of our big strategies. So in our world, what you'd call direct writers, so a State Farm, uh, an RBC, a Desjardins, um, Beller Direct are all going direct to market with big TV campaigns and trying to attract customers in. And as a customer, if you come into that, there's only one product on each shelf. And you got to leave and go back in another door and try another one. And so we got busy signing up every insurance company and we wanted to look more like a stock market. So okay. if Teresa was going to invest, we wanted to help her navigate that marketplace and pick which one. And we can say unbiasedly, I'm not recommending this company because it's my only option. I'm recommending this amongst all the 40 something that we have because we think that's the best for you right now. So the, the short answer of what do we do? We can generally place insurance for anything that needs insuring. Okay. And very little things in the world. You have to get into international um, risk and specialty things before we probably say no. The biggest department in our team would be personal home and auto insurance. Yeah. The second biggest would be business, um, commercial, small business, some big business. The next piece would be life and benefits and uh, disability. So you do that too? I didn't know that a lot of insurance companies did, did that. Yeah. If it's, if it's insurance related, we'd probably do it. What about boats? My husband's looking at a boat. We need insurance. <laughs> totally. So I, I, that, when I came back to Canada, I raced sailboats for five years. So sailing is a huge part of my life and boating. I'm a big awesome. fan. Um, but it falls into the personal category for the most part. Um, oh, okay. Scottish boats and things. Um, yeah. yeah, we do it all day. Awesome. We'll have a look. So Adam, thank you so much for your time. I, I hope that our audience got to know a little bit about you. Uh, we'll try out Mitchell and Whale for a quote. Um, I love that you're local in Durham region. I mean, we're lucky to have you. I hope that's something that you want to continue doing too. You want to stay here. You, you wouldn't believe how hard we tried to stay here. So when I took over and I grew up in Whitby um, and the business was in Whitby, it used to be at Dundas and Gerard and, and the, the Whitby um, chamber and Sheila in particular really helped us, you know, try and stay here. And it worked really well. We're, we're sitting in 26,000 square feet down here. So we have room for another hundred people we plan to hire in Whitby. Yeah. So I think that's part of the exciting thing that we're committed to trying to stay here. Where exactly are you? I mean, do people walk into your location or not really? You can, um, but you don't have to. And the reason we moved down to the industrial complex, we're down at Thixon and Wentworth um, in the old Johnson Control building. Oh, okay, I know where that is, yeah. And so we're the upstairs office of that building and we really built a cool office for our team to enjoy because we write business all across Canada and it's a very tiny percentage of our customers come in. Okay. So we went down and got a huge amount of space to make a really nice office for our team. So, you know, hopefully they're in the best of mindsets when people call in. Very true. Very true. I think environment and culture is so important. I mean, they've always said this, that employees, 
they don't actually leave because you're paying them less. They leave because they, it's the culture. It's the, the mindset of the organization and the people that they work for. Right. So, yeah, the, the, there's a couple of famous quotes around, you know, people don't quit jobs. They quit bosses. Yeah. That's always sad when they leave though, if that's the case, because otherwise, what did we do? Right. What did we do wrong? Yeah. <laughs> True. Anyway, thank you so much for your time, Adam. I do appreciate it. If you could send me those podcast links, I would love to be able to put that in the show notes. Yeah, I'll send you all those. That's great. Thanks, Teresa. Okay, take care. Thank you for being a guest today on our podcast. This is Teresa Shaver signing off from the Business Advisory Center Durham, and we hope that you will join us next week. Take care, guys.